Hi, everybody. My name is Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. Whole bunches and, and Captain Crunches. Uh, that uh, I picked that one up from Mickey Paul a couple years ago. That was a big one that we had in there. Uh, my sobriety date is July seventeenth, nineteen eighty-six. Um, and I'm <laughs> and I tell you, I'm as grateful as I, as I know how to be uh, for that. And um, and I am most of the time. Um, I'd like to thank everybody, the committee, uh, with Lacey Paw, and, and uh, this is my first time being at a Lacey Paw. I'm not from this part of the country originally and didn't get sober here, so um, this is my first trip through Lacey Paw. I've uh, been real active in young people's, and um, you guys have done a great job, and Mike and, and Chris, um, and I know Mike's done a whole lot of work because he's been in our area in Lufkin, Texas, and, uh, and doing some stuff for Lacey Paw, and uh, that's real important. And uh, services is, 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 I know, is what's kept me sober this long. It's, it's a big part. I mean, that's... Uh, one of our legacies is service, and uh, it's a third of our program. And uh, if you're not active in service, you need to be. And uh, that's his bottom line. And, um, and if I sponsor you, you will be. <laughs> that's bottom line. I mean, that's because it's a third of our program in any way. Um, I'm from Lufkin, Texas. That's where I live. I've lived, I've lived in Texas here for about the last five years. I'm a member of the Lufkin group. Um, we meet right off the, uh, the uh, 287 loop that goes around Lufkin, Texas. Um, and we got a big group. We meet every night at 8 o'clock and every day at noon. And if you're ever in Lufkin, we'd sure like to have you. Um, look in the phone book, and, and uh, you'll find our address, or you can call one of us. Um, <clears throat> I think that's all the introduction. Uh, I'm trying to remember, man. I hate to forget stuff. You know, and later you're like, oh, man. So anyway, I, I come out here tonight, uh, not for me, but, but to carry a message to you that, that, uh, that I've been experiencing over the last 29 years is how old I am, 29. Um, I, man, I, I relate so much to Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and I know if it wasn't for, for Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't be here. Um, I've, I've always been active in a Young People's Convention somewhere. Uh, I never miss an icky paw, um, and, uh, and I'm always active in the state conventions, whichever state I live in. And, uh, and I was active in Texie Paw in the last deal, and, and uh, Hickey Paw down in Houston's pretty close. I'm active in that, and, and, and now I guess I'm active in Lacey Paws right now, and, uh, and I'm glad to be able to participate at whatever level I can. Um, I'm coming to A when I was 17 years old, and uh, um, I was as alcoholic as anybody sitting in that room. Um, I don't know, for some reason or another, society puts a thing on this about age. You know, I, don't, I just always felt that. You know, I'd go to meetings, there'd be a lot of people. Man, I remember getting out of treatment a hot couple of days and a guy telling me um, that if you're under 25, then there's no way you can be alcoholic, you know. And that's dangerous to be telling people, man. I, you know, and I, was, and I went to my sponsor right away, thank God. You know, he didn't put an age limit on alcoholism, you know. Um, he didn't. And, um, and he knew if I, if I agreed to whatever the doctor's opinion said, and if I could find myself in that doctor's opinion, then I'd qualify. And... Uh, and there's really no definition of alcoholism, and that's what I always look for. I always thought, well, if I could just ever fit the definition, and there's not. And other people might have definitions for alcoholism, but all we give in the book is a description. That's all. And if you fit the description, man, welcome. You know, welcome. And if you don't, you're welcome. Just come to open meetings. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that's, you know, shit, I, uh, everybody comes to AA, not, you know, um, family members and friends, and, and everybody's always welcome at an AA meeting. And, uh, <laughs> 
I moved, I, when I moved here, um, I will scratch that. I guess I better qualify myself before I go into any of that. Um, like I said, I was born in 1986. I uh, started drinking when I was 11, 10 or 11 years old. I'm not really sure when or where or what, but up to that point in my life, I was a pretty happy kid. Uh, you know, I guess when I reflect back, I, I don't... I mean, you know, I really don't have anything to judge that by, but shoot, things seemed like they was pretty good in my life. Um, had a good family, uh, was raised semi-religious, a grandfather that was a minister, and, and spent a lot of Sunday mornings in church and, and, uh, and vacation Bible school in the summertime, you know. Um, God, I thank God for that kind of upbringing. And I, I, used to, I used to wish that, I was like, man, you know, why can't I on Sundays, why can't I do this and why can't I do that? And a lot of, you know, now, looking back, I'm so grateful that happened to me because, you know, once I got a little older and I started doing a lot of wrong, you know, I knew I was doing wrong. You know, I was still doing it, but I knew I was doing wrong. And, uh, and, and that, you know, that was real good for me. Um, and I know it saved my life and it got me to the program to accept the principles that the program lays out for me. Um, Played baseball, played a lot of sports, had a brother and a sister, and man, we just, you know, it seemed like we was a pretty happy family. And, uh, but I knew there was something a little bit, I knew I was a little off-centered than them. You know, I just knew that there was something a little bit different. Uh, and I would hear stories about aliens and all that stuff, and sometimes I would think, you know, what if that really happened in my family? You know, what happened if they just, like, set me down with a family, sent me down to earth with this family, and I was supposed to play part in this family, and, and I was trying to be a human, but I really wasn't, you know? And uh, I'm sure nobody's ever felt that way, but I did. Uh, you know, it was just like an unrest that was in me. You know, it, was just, it just seemed like it was unfinished business in there. I don't, it was an uncomfort, you know? Um, I remember people in my family tell me they felt this way or they felt that way, and, and you know, I, a lot of times I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel the way that they were telling me I was supposed to feel. And of course, I, I mean, if that's the way you're supposed to feel, well, hell, I've got to feel that way. You know, and I try to make myself feel that way, but I still wouldn't. You know, they say I was supposed to love these people and do this for these people and feel this way about that, and, and I, I really didn't. And, uh, and by doing that, by, by having them feelings that were a little bit different than everybody else, you know, I started to isolate a little bit, you know. And I'd be right amongst everybody, but I just knew that I wasn't like them. And, uh, and up to coming to AA, I had felt that way that I just wasn't like them, you know, and uh, <clears throat> what I learned in A is I ain't like them, you know, I'm not, I'm different. Um, took my first drink, and I said I was 10 or 11 years old, I was at a party, uh, my friend had a birthday party, and they were all like, you know, I remember in school, they were all like, yeah, man, we're going to have beer, you drink beer, I was like, yeah, I drink beer, man, I never, I ain't never even smelled it before, no one in my family, but you know, of course, I was, I know how to do it, man, I've been doing it for a long, since I was three, you know, or something, I don't know what I'd tell them. <laughs> You know, because, I mean, I couldn't, you know, I had, had a, I always felt like I got to know more than everybody else. And I don't know, I could carry that on now, you know, that I, I know more than I really do. Um, so anyway, I uh, went to this party, and man, sure, they was just tearing it up in there. And they were just drinking and, and handing me bottles and drinking. And 10, 11-year-olds, and ACDC was playing. And, and you guys know the scene, man. We was tearing it up. We didn't know what we was doing, but, man, we was tearing it up. And, uh, <laughs> You know, falling on the ground and people puking on each other and then people just, you know, best of friends and just crazy. Um, that is, that is insane. And uh, I just, you know, and I just remember flashes. Then I remember cops coming down the steps. <laughs> and I remember me and my buddy that was drinking this bottle of gin together was like, we got to get out of here, man. So uh, we go running out and all, the, all these 10, 11 year olds go run out the back door, man, through the woods, through the trees, just everywhere. There's two policemen. We're just scared to death because we know what we're doing ain't right. And our parents definitely wouldn't appreciate what we were doing at this birthday party. 
And, uh, and, and when me and him got to the door, we had look, I looked down, and he was like, get the beer. And there was a case of beer sitting there. And this guy's parents were buying us these cases of beer and set, bring them down the floor, like for the birthday party or something. Instead of cake, we had beer. And uh, I, I grabbed up one of those cases and ran out and ran up the deck in their back deck. It was kind of, uh, uh, the deck was, you know, high up in b back behind the house. And we climbed up them steps, ran up real quick, and got down back in the corner of that deck and just sat there until it all quieted down and drank that beer. And, uh, and looking back, you know, there was some kind of magic thing that I had found there. And it didn't matter what the cops were or who was behind me or whatever, that I was going to drink it. And, uh, and I remember that feeling. I mean, I, the only way I know how to explain it is magic. It was just a magic feeling, man. It was just like somebody cast a freaking spell on me, you know. And, and, uh, and all them things, all that feeling of unrest and all that stuff was all gone out the door. And whoever I wanted to be, that's who I was. You know, that's who I was. Well, you know, the, the greatest person that I could ever be when I started taking them first drinks is that's who I become. And, uh, and, and you know, you get that kind of a deal, you're going to chase it. You're going to chase it. The thing that I didn't understand was that everybody doesn't get that kind of a deal when they drink, you know. Um, that the people that react allergically to it, as we do, that's what we get. Um, my mom, my dad, and my brother, and my sister, they don't get it. Um, the next six years of my life, I, was, I chased it. And if it was on the weekends, it was on the weekends. If it was during the weekends, during the weekends, before school, in the locker, school, and it really didn't matter when. Um, I chased it. Um, chased it through a whole lot of chemicals, too, because I tell you what, when I was 12 years old, it was hard to go in and get me a case of beer down at the convenience store on the corner. But, man, I could go to the other corner where the guy's house was, and I'd get anything I wanted over there, you know. Um, so I, I mixed it up a lot. And, um, and you know, the, and, the, and the true thing was eventually I just started feeling so bad about myself, and my life was so terrible, and everything was that I was willing to do whatever. And, uh, and I don't know if there's any huffers in here, but I was a big huffer, man. I just kind of got lost in that world of huffing and, uh, and probably suffered some permanent damage from that huffing, you know. Uh, but I know I have. <laughs> I'll talk, maybe I'll talk about that. Um, so anyway, you know, I just chased that, y'all. And I uh, went through school, and, and things that were important in my life became much less important in my life. And that was baseball, and that was my family, and that was definitely I couldn't go to church. And it was my friends, and my friends changed. And I couldn't hang out with these guys because they always... Gave me a hard time about the way I was. So I got to go hang out with these guys until they gave me a hard time about the way I was, and I'd go hang out with these guys. You know, um, always accepting less and less and less in my life. Um, as a blackout drinker, that is the way that I drank. I blacked out. I drank as much as there was. And if it wasn't enough, I went and got it. And I don't care if I was strapping it to the back of my bicycle or, or running into the convenience store, grabbing it and running back out the door because I hadn't had enough. And it wasn't that I was this incredible thief, and it wasn't that I was this this bad, terrible kid that was just wanted to steal and hurt people, you know, I didn't have enough, you know. I just didn't have enough. And, uh, and really, y'all, the truth be known, I, they don't make enough. They don't make enough, you know. Um, and I always hit it behind the cabbage and the parties and the lettuce. And, and, uh, and I was the guy that when we went to your house to a party, I went right to the medicine cabinet, to the bathroom, and I opened it up, and I looked for any of them bottles that had that sleepy eye on them. And, then, you know, if they had the sleepy eye, they went in my pocket, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, <laughs> my buddy told me about the sleepy eye the other day. Man, I completely forgot about the sleepy eye. But I remember the excitement that I felt when I saw that sleepy eye because I knew what it meant. I knew what it meant. And, uh, um, man, I, you know, and I wore it out, man. I just, you know, um, blackout, drunk, you know, um, be time to leave wherever we were leaving and, 
And uh, they, where's Jeff? I don't know. You better go look for him. And my friends would absolutely, usually not my friends. There's a girl that, that ran around with me a lot that was trying to be my girlfriend, but I just would never let her be. Uh, but she ran around with me a lot. And, um, and they would get a flashlight and go out in the yard and look for me because they knew I'd be passed out because I had a thing about passing out in that cool dew. You know, at nighttime in Ohio, the dew would get on the ground real thick and it'd be real cool. And when I get really drunk and hot and just, you know, you know, probably already been in a fight or something, you know, so I'm just, you know, whatever. And I'd just go lay down in that dew and I'd just lay down in that grass. And hell, if I woke up the next morning there, I did. If they didn't find me, that's what happened, you know. Um, and, of course, you know, I, and, then in the, and then in the wintertime, the concrete there, it would get cold at night. Or not even in the wintertime, it would be in the summertime, too. It would get cold at night, but the, the sidewalks would be warm. You know, and I mean, if I could find a good sidewalk, a nice warm sidewalk, I'd just pass out there, you know, wake up the next morning. It didn't matter. The dew, the grass, and it. And um, I don't know, y'all. I, I couldn't drink enough. Um, I always drank more than I, more than I, definitely more than I, <clears throat> than I should. I, I could never shut it off. And, um, and I remember my brother was in uh, college at Ohio State University, and they had siblings weekend. And this is a time when you're supposed to bring your brothers and sisters, and you really <laughs> to see your school and to see your college and all this stuff. And I was 16 years old, and I show up, and he's got his dorm buddies, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna go out drinking tonight." And I, you know, and I, I guess they were thinking I had, they had a lightweight on their hands, you know, before they took me out of this bar. They didn't know what they had on their hands, but they were like, "Here, man, we got you a fake ID," and they gave it to me, and we went to the bars drinking and. And man, the first night there, I just had my arm around his shoulder and arm around my brother's, my toes were dragging and I come out of a blackout like that, just looking at the concrete. Woke up the next morning with a bucket beside my head on the couch naked. They just stripped me down because I had puked all over myself. And, uh, but it wasn't nothing new to me, you just wake up, it was just another night, you know, it was no big deal. But um, to me, of course, but I never thought about how my brother might feel. You know, here I come for a big weekend on the campus and he's excited to meet, meet all his friends and stuff and then, you know, let him down again, you know. Um, the next night, my brother said, man, he said, you know, let's just go out and have a pitcher of beer together, you know. And I was like, yeah, okay. Went down, went down, I got a pitcher like that of beer, and we split it. We drank it. And um, I was like, well, let's order another. And he said, oh, man, I kind of got to get back to the dorm. I got some studying to do. I told him, I said, well, I'll go ahead and stay here. And uh, 16 years old, man. And uh, fake ID in a town I don't even know. And he said, no, nah, man, he said, you can't stay here. And I said, I'm staying here, you know. And uh, we stood up on the floor and started pushing, and it, and it would it would have been bloody if he wouldn't have told me that he had a bottle of bourbon back in his room and uh, that I could go back to the dorm room and have that bottle. And, uh, and man, I hate to think that I was that way at 16 years old, but, man, I, that's the way I was. And uh, much more powerful than the love for my brother. And uh, I didn't want to be that way. But the thing was, was that I, I had started that compulsion. I had started that in my body, you know. And, and alcoholism is mental and physical, and, man, the mental start talks me into the mental part talks me into the drink. But once I once I talk myself, or once my mind talks me into that drink, and I physically take it, it ain't mental anymore. And it don't matter how much I love you or me or my brother or my mom or my dad or whatever. Once I start, man, I gotta finish it. And uh, and I've always been that way. Um, never wanted to be that way, but always that way. And I'll always be that way. The big book tells me that. So um, so anyway, I, you know, I took it. I I took it to the end and come blacked out to the house and. You know, I mean, I would pass out, I would come home, I'd take this girl out, and she'd have to be home at 2 a.m. or at midnight, and I would bring her in at 3 a.m., or she would bring me in driving my car, and she would t go take me to my house, and she would go put me in bed, tell my parents that I was okay, and then she would walk a half mile home, and she'd do it every night, you know, and she was afraid if she didn't go with me, I'd die. You know, I'd wreck that car, I'd do whatever, who knows what I might do, and, 
um, one night she wasn't around, man. I took, a, uh, I took my dad's car. Um, you know, my dad was an executive for Ford Motor Company. And he had this really nice Lincoln Continental that he would let me drive because he, I guess he got a, you know, you know, it was a, like a company car or whatever, and his family could drive it. And sure enough, man, I, I go down a dead-end road that I know. No, it's a dead-end road. I know that. Um, you know, 120 miles an hour, um, get to the dead end, you know, hit a pole, go through the pole. We ramp Dukes of Hazard up into the guy's driveway on top of his car, land on top of this guy's car beside his house, and that car slams while we're on top of it into the car in front of it. I got two girls with me that, I mean, I kind of knew, but not really know, and my buddy in the back, look over at the girl. She's tucked up under so far under the dash that I can't really see but her feet. Um, look in the back, my buddy's laying there, and I see blood in his mouth. His mouth's full of blood, but it's got bubbles in it, so I'm thinking, well, at least he's breathing. And then the girl behind me, and she, she, she was also down in the floor, and she was, they was all in bad shape, you know. Uh, go to get out of the car. This is just insanity. This is, this is, this is just a wet, uh, everyday, not an everyday, but probably once a week occurrence in my life uh, at that point. And, um, man, I, I go to step out of the car, and, of course, I'm on top of another car, so I roll out of the car thinking I'm going to step on the ground, and my foot gets hung underneath the car, and I'm touching the ground like this. I'm hanging upside down from the car. And uh, I tell you what, man, God watches out for little babies, fools, and drunks like me. Um, I, when I finally rolled out of the car, there was electric lines laying everywhere, across the car and all over, and no, all the lights was out on the street, you know. And, uh, man, I go tripping over them electric lines, tripping over them, and people screaming, get away from them, get away from them, and I can't even hear them because I'm worried about getting the beer out of the trunk because I'm, I'm afraid I'll get a DUI. <laughs> you know? But... I mean, that made sense to me, at the, you know, I, well, I was in shock. I mean, hell, I don't know what was going on, you know. But I remember, I remember this. I remember uh, when they finally got the girls to the hospital, and I remember uh, my buddy was beside me in the cop car, and I was bleeding all in the cop car, and I was just like this, you know, because I, mean, I was like this because I was like, oh, my God, my life sucks. I was like this, too, because I had hit that steering wheel with my neck when we, my face went through the windshield, and I guess I had turned it sideways and it hit here, and it was like swelling like a grapefruit on the side. Doc told me if I'd have hit here, that'd have been it. They'd have never done it. They couldn't have done nothing for me. I guess my throat would have swollen up. couldn't breathe or whatever. And I don't know, man. Came out of that one. One thing that happened, though, in that accident, I, I remember looking at my buddy, and, and he was over here. And he was kind of a semi, like a Christian guy or something. And I told him, I said, man, i got to go back to church. I said, i got to do something, man. And he said, yeah, you're right. you got to do something, man. He's like, oh, you know, believing stuff. And, uh... You know, I got a DUI that night and got a, I went to the hospital. I left the hospital that night, and, uh, and the other ones had to stay for a little while, and they was busted up pretty bad. And Man, I remember that doctor giving me a lashing, man. He just laid into me, you know, don't you see what you're doing? You know, just all that stuff that everybody's always, you know. But I don't hear it from other people. You know, I, I just don't hear it very good. Um, I got to experience it, you know. And, uh, and, hell, I think that's why we got to earn our seat here. You know, that I don't, I don't think that anybody can tell me enough to get me sober. You know, I got to get out there and experience the crap. I got to get out there and experience, <clears throat> experience the car wrecks and the hurt and the pain and letting your family down, letting your, letting your girlfriend, wife, husband down, your family down, um, you know, um, anybody ever cared for. You got to get out there and do that. That's the only way you can earn your seat here. And it's sad that it's that way, you know. Um, that's what I had to do. And, uh. I had to know that my way didn't work. I, just, I had to be convinced of that, and, uh, and I was becoming convinced of that.
I was becoming convinced of that. Um, for the next six months, I tried to change my life. And uh, I really tried to turn it around this time. And uh, the first thing I did was went back to the church of my childhood. Um, and I remember I was strung out, you know, however I was feeling, and <clears throat> walked into the church house, and, and people remembered me. And um, I walked in, man, I, I wasn't dressed very nice, you know, um, but I knew I had to go, you know. Um, I walked down there, and I sat down, and God, man, I remember in that church, and I remembered it when I was sitting there. I was like, oh, man, this is the part where they make you feel really guilty and so that you come to the front, you know. <laughs> And I remember that from when I was a kid, man, because every time that I sat in that church house and they did that, I would have to go to the front because that's how I felt guilty all the time. So I was sitting there and I was like, oh, man, you know. And I really wanted things different in my life, y'all. I didn't want to be that way anymore. And the thing was, was that I couldn't stop. <clears throat> they call me, you know, they finally get me to that boiling point, you know, where I'm like, God, I can't stand it. I got to go, you know. And I'm, of course, I'm not acting that way. I've got my head down and I go on down to the altar and the preacher comes over and puts his arm around me and, you know, starts whispering some prayers in my ear and different things and, you know, whatever they do in the church house. And, uh, man, I felt this warm shower come down around me. Mm. I knew I was going to be all right. And uh, the church was over and everybody said their peace and loved me and shook my hand. And, <clears throat> and I walked out, man. I didn't have anywhere to take it. I didn't have anywhere to take that. Um. I could go in that church house with them, but man, I, I just didn't feel like that they was like me, I guess. I couldn't get it there. Um, soon after the day, the next day, two days, whatever, I'm back doing the same thing. Thinking, God. Got another buddy, man, and he, one time he was in the woods doing something kind of chemical, and like all of a sudden, man, he was sober, you know, and he'd seen the devil or something, and I started hanging out with him, you know? <laughs> That's what happened to him. And I used to party with this guy. He was great, man. The guy was a wild man. Um, and, and he seen the devil in the woods and chased him and, you know. It, but I tell you what, it was legitimate whatever happened to him because he was different. And I believe he had had a spiritual awakening. Um, truly. We ain't the only ones that have spiritual awakenings, y'all. The devil gets to chasing me through the woods. You better believe I'll be looking for a spiritual awakening. And, uh. And he, uh, I tell you what, man, he, um, I went to him, you know, and I, I was like, man, you know, let me go to church with you, you know. He went down to the, where the Holy Rollers went, you know, and I, I thought maybe it would be different there, you know. Um, for some reason, I thought that, you know, there was just a little spot that I belonged, and I just had to find it, and hell, went there, and same experience, you know. And, uh, man, they was just dancing and carrying on, you know, and I was... Uh, and I kind of liked it, and I started feeling some of that spirit from him, you know. And, uh, and right in the middle of all that, this man beside me just started going off, you know, just hallelujah and carrying on, man. And I felt that warm shower again. I just felt it just, just like cleanse me. I thought, man. And I left, and I was driving home. And I reached in to get a tape out of my tape deck, or my box where I kept my tapes. And I reached in there, and there was a big a joint sitting in there. And I smoked it. And I don't know, and I didn't want to, and there wasn't any thought of, you know, well, this is a big decision I'm making in my life. I just did it. And I was thinking, man, is it ever going to change? Am I ever going to change? You know, I mean, I, and that's hard to live that way, y'all. When you get, like, all of a sudden you're free and then you're back. And I, I tell you, I, 
I've never been one to, to really struggle with the program. And, uh, and man, I bless the people that, that have a problem with it because, man, mm, I pray for pray for anybody when I see people going in and out and the guys I might sponsor or whatever, man, because I see what they go through and I know they're getting a taste. <clears throat> or I got a taste of what they have to go through. And um, I pray for them every night because, God, that's got to be terrible. Um, like I said, it went on for six months like that, man. I just should go try to be born again or rededicated or baptized or something, man. There's got to be one of these things that'll work for me. <clears throat> and um, and there was a hopeless, hopelessness that came about all that, too, also, because when you go to the highest power and it doesn't take, where else are you going to go? And um, I started feeling that. I started feeling that hopelessness of where else am I going to take this? Um, and I had already seen counselors and all that stuff. I mean, that, that was, you know, I mean, I took it to the man, you know. I took it to the man. And uh, so then any time the counselors wanted to see me or whatever, I mean, it, it didn't, their message was, I was like, yeah, you know, sure. Uh, because I believed in the higher power. I believed in it. And, uh, and, I, and I believed that he'd work. Um, but I, for you. And uh, that's how I believe. And... Um, that was a lonely place. It was a lonely place. And I, like I said, I lived there for, for, for that six months, and I lived in that place. And um, there was, it was hopelessness. It was absolute hopelessness. I don't know how else to explain it, but there just wasn't nowhere for me to go. And the only relief I got was when I drank. And, uh, and um, the thing was, was I just couldn't drink enough, and I couldn't stay drunk long enough, and I'd have to sober up every now and then and look at my life. And um, I couldn't stand it. And uh, I got desperate, and my blackouts were lasting you know, they weren't lasting an evening. They were lasting a day or, or two days or three days. And um, started to indulge in a whole lot more stuff than I ever want to indulge in again. And, uh, and so, um, man, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened. But it <clears throat> we was reading the other day in a meeting about the ones that make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And, man, I know I was there. And I know when I read that, every time I read that in the big book, I know what that is. I know what that supreme sacrifice is, and I know what that point feels like. I know what that point feels like. I remember right beside my house, I lived by a bridge, and I, I just remember walking over that at bridge every now and then. And I, I would, or I wouldn't walk over it. I'd walk part way, and then I would just get too scared. And I thought, man, if I get out there, I may do it. You know? I mean, I knew I was right there. I knew I could just throw myself off that bridge as easy as I could walk back home. Um, and, uh, and, and I didn't like driving because um, I knew I could take it into that wall. You know? And I, there was no hope. Um, my family didn't know what to do. I mean, man, I come home drunk, you know. I mean, it was just every night, you know. And I remember getting them, well, they would tell me. I mean, how many mornings I woke up, my mom said, how can you look at me after what you said to me last night? You know, I had no idea, no idea. Um, you know, getting in fights with people, and, and, uh, and I remember I got, and I, I stopped fighting one person at a time when I get into fights and started fighting a number of people at a time because I'd never win anyway. So if I got whipped by four guys instead of one guy, then at least people would be afraid of me. They'd think I was crazy or something, or maybe they'd stay away from me, you know. And, um, and I started doing that, you know. Um, and my friends didn't want to be around me because and, 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 uh, they didn't feel safe is why they didn't want to be around me. It wasn't because they didn't like me. They loved me. But, hell, they couldn't be around me because they was afraid. They didn't know what would happen to them. So anyway, I got to that blessed moment, man. I... Uh, I had went to a friend's house and picked up some of these uh, some of these pills I used to take when I drank, and uh, and he always and they, it was they were 
really strong downers, and uh, and he told me if you sell them, don't take them. And I was like, oh, I'm selling these, man. I'm gonna make some money. And I used to always do that. I always thought I was gonna be Al Capone or something. And I <laughs> always take my product, you know. And you never can make any money when you take your product. And and uh, um, and man, I just I overshot the mark again, and uh, blacked out for. Well, I remember going in on Friday night and coming out Tuesday. It was when I came out and. Uh, and I was laying, I, I really don't know how all this happened. I mean, I truly don't, but I was laying on my bed when I came out. And, uh, and my mom was in my room, and she was crying. And my dad was sitting on the bed, and he was wringing his hands. And, uh, and I don't know what had happened the five minutes before, the hour before, or the day before, or the two days before. I mean, I don't know. I told him, I said, man, you got, I, said, I, gotta, go, I gotta go somewhere, y'all. I said, you know, you know something's got to happen. And, uh, so anyway, you know, they were talking about, you know, we got to need family counseling, and they always talked about family counseling, and they always talked about that. <laughs> I know some of you young people know about the family counseling bit. <laughs> and it wasn't them. It wasn't them, but the thing was, was I was so sick, I tried to make it, put, I tried to put it on them. You know, I always tried to put it on them. If I could put it on them, then I wouldn't have to take responsibility for it. <clears throat> and, uh, man, uh, well, what, whatever happened, long story short, I'm sitting in a treatment center that day and uh, there's a lady across from me and she said she said well you know I look at your history I look at this and I was like I, said, I belong here you know I need to be somewhere uh, they admitted me put me in the pajamas and and uh, went to my first day meeting that night sitting there in treatment just just tripping knowing that you know not knowing that my world's gonna open up but knowing that you know I'm a lot safer in here than I am out there. And people are in my life are a lot safer out there than, than uh, with me being in here. Um, man, I spent, what, six weeks in that treatment center. <clears throat> they gave me a big book. Um, learned a couple things while I was in there. I learned that I care about people. That was an important thing for me to learn in treatment because I become so selfish and self-centered, man. And I remember one day they come in to take my roommate's cigarettes from me. And there was three guys. And my little roommate, you know, it's this little guy, and he was not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I and I remember these three guys come in. They was gonna take his whole carton of cigarettes that his dad just brought him up because they ain't got no cigarettes. And uh, and they come in and and uh, and I was laying there sleeping and I woke up and I said, man, you ain't taking the cigarettes. And uh, they was like, here, man, you can have a couple packs. No, 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 you ain't taking the cigarettes. I just started going off on these guys. Um. It was very unlike me, you know. I mean, I was just looking for a fight, you know, usually if I was drinking. But uh, when I was sober, I wasn't much of a fighter. And, uh, but I was willing, man, because I had started caring about that guy, you know. As we said, set up at night and started talking just about whatever, you know. He'd talk about his family, talk about this and that, and I, you know. And, and uh, I just started caring about him, you know. And I had never had that, man. That was a big uh, experience in my life was that. I was sitting in that group therapy, and they were talking about crazy stuff. And they was trying to tell me that my family was screwed up. I was like... I don't know what you guys are talking about, but just not, you know, you definitely ain't got the, the right book you're looking in or something about my life because uh, I'm the only thing screwed up in my family. Um, so anyway, um, went through treatment, man. I started caring about those people in treatment, you know. Um, I get out. They say, get you a sponsor and get you an AA, you know. Well, there was a guy when I, when I was younger and was playing ball and stuff, we used to go work out at this place, you know. It was a little whatever, a, I can't remember what it was called, some little workout place. And there was always a guy in there. 
and he'd just crack us up, you know, and we'd all be high. We'd go in there high after school, you know, and we'd have Chinese eyes, and we'd be in there just lifted weights, just carrying on, you know, whatever, just goofing off. And, and this guy would always come in and just crack us up, man. He'd always talk about shooting, shooting heroin and drinking all, you know, all this stuff and how he, you know, take planes and end up in different cities and all this the AA stories that you hear. And, and he used to tell us that stuff, and we were like, man, he's coming in, look at him. You know, we just laugh, and just, and we thought he was just a hoot, man. We just loved him, you know, and come on, live with us, man. And we just sat around for hours and just talking. And sure enough, man, uh, when I was in treatment the last day, I mean, they took me to, he was sitting there. I was like, man, you found AA too? I said, man, I'm in treatment. I was thinking that he, you know, was probably maybe a week sober or something, and he said he'd been there for nine years, and I was like, wait. <laughs> And he said, man, I always love when you guys would come to the gym. And I'd say, no, man, we loved when you came to the gym, you know. And uh, that just proves to me that I'm just attracted to drunks, man. It don't matter if we're drunk or sober. I love them, man. And uh, so anyway, of course, I asked him, I said, man, you are my sponsor. And he said, all right, all right, you know, I'll sponsor you, but let me give you some stuff. And he started writing down, you know, read chapter 7 and read this and do this and get on your knees and do this and, and uh when I got a treatment, I'd take that stuff home, and I'd get my assignment out. And, man, I ain't never been good at assignments, y'all. And I'd look, and I'd say, God, man, I think it's time to go to the meeting. I'd go to the meeting, you know, and I wouldn't do my assignment, and I'd feel bad. I'd call him, and, did you do your assignment? No, I ain't done my assignment. And I'd really feel bad. I was about ready to drink because I didn't do my assignment, you know. <laughs> and, uh, man, I had, I had been going to meetings for about two months, and, um, uh, and I sat down beside a guy in a meeting, and I looked into his eyes, man, and my soul felt peace when I looked at him in his eyes. I mean, I just, he just, phew, I was cool, you know. Just being around this guy, man, if I could sit next to him, I'd feel all right. You know, all, God, if he'd ever talked to me, all the fears and all the worries in my life would go to the side. And, uh, and I'd say, Danny, what mean you going to tomorrow night? Oh, I'm going to go across town to this meeting over there. I'd like, all right. So I'd be there, man. I'd be there before he gets there. You know, he always got there half an hour early, and I'd be there before him. He said, oh, I'm going to this meeting on the other side of town. So I'd go over there and meet him. Well, of course, then one day I said, man, Danny, I kind of need a sponsor. And I said, I already got one, and he's been giving me these assignments, and I can't do them. I thought maybe you could help me out with them or something. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, man, Jeff, he said, I ain't real good at giving out assignments. And uh, I said, you're my sponsor now. <laughs> I like that, you know. My, Danny, man, Danny was just, I mean, he's just, God, he's, and he saved my life, you know. He was just, uh, he was one of them AA members that uh, when you looked at him, it's just his eyes lit up, and he, and, uh, and, uh, and he didn't talk the program. He lived the freaking program, you know what I mean? He didn't have to talk it. You could just be around him, and you knew. Uh, you knew he was close to God, and you knew he worked the steps, and uh, it just attracts me. It attracts me now. If I get around a person that I just, you know, that's really working hard and stuff, and it don't matter if they're 10, 20, 30 years or, or a week, man, if they're working it, man, and you're around them, it's just a joy to watch. Um, Danny was that way. And, uh, man, I followed him around. Drug him to he drug me to conferences, drug me everywhere. Um, and that's how I learned Alcoholics Anonymous, is I learned it from that man. And I learned it from a few other guys. It was a Chinese Fourth Street group in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and uh, they knew the big book. And they taught out of the big book. And that was the only way you worked the steps was out of the big book. There wasn't nothing else. Anything else wasn't AA, and you just didn't take it to the meeting, and you didn't talk about it. And that was it. And, uh, and that was the way I was raised in AA, and, and, uh, and that's the way that I, that I feel now, and that's the way I sponsor my guys. Um, man, what a trip. Uh, that, was in, that was in 86, and that's been um, 
almost 12 years ago that uh that I came in man and uh, if I could have even I mean I'd have settled in one month for the way my life was I'd have settled for that that had been enough that had been enough um that one month and uh, I felt that way at six months and I felt that way at a year and I'll tell you right now I'd feel that way this is as good as it gets man I'll take it you know I'll take it um one day I went to Danny with the Simon thing, you know. And Danny was a guy, you know, if, if he told me to read the big book, something, he'd sit down and read it with me. He said, come on, let's go meet for coffee. And he'd take his big book. He said, bring me yours. And, that, you know, we'd sit down and read. If he wanted me to read chapter four, he'd go meet me and read it to me, you know. Um, and, uh, and I tell you what, y'all, and I guess he knew this. I couldn't read. Hell, I couldn't read. The guy gave me them assignments, man, I couldn't even read. I mean, I could read a sentence, maybe, but I didn't know what it said, but I could read it. How am I ever going to do an assignment? Um, Danny wasn't that way, man. Danny was like, man, you need to get out there. And I'd always ask him, what am I, am I doing all right? You know, tell me what I need to do. You know, give me something to do. I always got to do this, do that. One day I said, Danny, man, just freaking give me an assignment. Because by that time I was getting hungry, you know. I said, man, give me something to freaking do, man. He said, oh, well, you know. I always find it best if a man just gets out there and learns from his own mistakes. And as long as he's not hurting himself or anybody else, you just need to get out there and live your life. I was like, man, give me an assignment, Danny. He said, all right, I got one for you. I was like, all right. Ready to write it down, man. I was going to take this one down. I was going to do it for Danny because I'd do an assignment for Danny. And uh, he said, man, go out and have fun. And I, I said, Danny, I said, man, I've been given assignments before, and that assignment ain't very good. You know, and, uh, and and what he told me, he said, Jeff, if I know anything, I know this, is that if you don't have fun being sober, you ain't going to be sober very long. And uh, man, I hold that dear to my heart now. And uh, and I feel, I feel, I, I told James today, man, James is stark raven sober, 17 years old, just coming to our group and drug him up here to this convention, man. He's been out of the treatment center a hot couple of days. And, uh, and, uh, and I told him tonight, man, that if, if you're not happy and you're an Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're not happy, you're doing it wrong. Um, and I found that to be true in my life over and over and over. Every time I'm unhappy in AA, it's just because I ain't doing it right. You know, it ain't because this is happening and this is happening. This happens because I'm not doing the program. It's just that easy. <clears throat> Maybe it's that simple. Because our book will say it's simple, but it ain't easy. It's simple. This guy, Danny, man, I, I, I got to talk about Danny a little bit because it, it, he's changed my life, man. He, this man is he's dead now. And, uh, and, man, I just bless him. Um, worked the steps with Danny, you know. He took me through the steps, did my third step prayer with Danny. We got on our knees and prayed together. First man I ever prayed together with one-on-one. -on -one. And he put his arm around me, man, and we said that third step prayer. And I knew there was a God, and I knew he was with me. And, uh, and speaking of that third step prayer, you know, I, I got to say this because, uh, you know, I, I had talked about how, you know, that God hadn't taken in my life, you know, how I was never able to stay sober, turn my life around when I went to him. And if you read chapter 4 in the big book, there's a part in there after the third step prayer and it says that our decision is vital and crucial but it's not going to and they're talking about the decision of the third step and that's what I was doing in that church house didn't know I was doing the third didn't know I was working the steps when I was the, back then but I was I was doing that third step when I'd go up to that preacher and pray with him and and, um, and it said our decision is vital and crucial but if you don't follow it up with uh, to get if you don't get down to the causes and conditions it ain't going to have a permanent effect it's not going to take and that's why it wouldn't take for me then. That's why it takes for me now. That's why it took, because I got down on my knees. I did the third step with my sponsor. 
And, uh, and, and what he told me, he said, you'll know you did, the, you know when you did the third step is when you start riding on your fourth step. When you go ahead and start knocking on them doors and going back and saying, hey, man, you know, I used to be a piece of crap. You know, I'm trying to get things right, and I did this to you. I want to set it right. Tell me what I can do for you. And uh, that's when you know you've done the third step is when that starts happening in your life. <clears throat> Went to Danny once. Um, Danny, had, Danny worked for himself. But he was always at the noon meeting and always at the 8 o'clock meeting. And I, and he, but he had a job. It just baffled me. And he, and he spray washed trucks. He just lined them big semis up and go down with his truck and spray them. And <clears throat> I said, Danny, how often do you work, man? He said, Jeff, I, I work about two days a week. I said, well, uh, that don't really seem very good, Danny. <laughs> you know people work five days a week. I mean, I, you know, that's a regular work week. You know, what are you doing working too? You're my sponsor. You need to straighten up. <laughs> I didn't say that to him, but I felt that. Oh. Hell, he told me, he said, Jeff, you know the only reason I work two days a week? I was like, well, what's that? He says, because I can't get by with working one day a week. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know. And then, of course, I had more questions. And, and he said, Jeff, he said, man, I, he said, this is the way I see it. He said, uh, God me pull, pulled me from the scrap heap, and I ain't going to spend my life working 80 hours a week, busting my butt. He said, I want to enjoy what he gave me. And, uh, and uh, so he worked two days a week, went to A the rest of the time, drug people around the meetings, enjoyed his family, just did everything. And, uh, man, he was a joy to be around. And, uh. Wasn't a very serious dude, you know, just things would just roll off of Danny. God, what a man. He, uh, I told him, I said, man, what am I supposed to do? You know? The nine months sober, I had got a job. First job I ever had in my life. Um, first legal money I ever made in my life. Um, I guess I was 18 and a half or 18, whatever. And um, I remember when I brought that first paycheck home. It just tells you where me and my family was. When I brought that first paycheck home, and I was like, look. You know, because I felt that good because it was legitimate money. You know, I mean, it was money that I made. They took out taxes and everything. Check it out, you know. I took it home, and, uh, and my mom and dad, and we all cried together. Because I didn't, I, I just didn't think that it, that would ever, I mean, I'd ever be worth that. You know, I never thought I could, you know. This is where I come from. And Danny, uh, when I went to him, man, I just figured that I was supposed to live this textbook life once you get sober in AA. And so I was trying to do, man, I got a job and was working and and all this stuff, and man, Danny, I, when I went to him, I said, man, what am I supposed to do? And uh, I had already tried college. I tried that when I got out of treatment, and I was newly sober and tried to go back to college, and like I told you, I had done all the inhalants and stuff, and I didn't, had, I mean, I just couldn't read. I couldn't remember anything. I was failing out of all the classes, and I'm not a dumb person, but I had done some damage, and I couldn't get it. I couldn't read. I, I mean, I had read one book in my life up to about two years ago, besides the big book, and that was James and the Giant Peach in the fourth grade. I read that book. You know, so this and James and the Giant Peach until two years ago, until I was nine years sober, the only books I've ever read in my life. That was it. And um, so <laughs> James and the Giant Peach, man. Did I did book reports up to my senior year in high school on James and the Giant Peach? <laughs> did I swear? <laughs> so Danny told me, uh, I, you know, when I went to him, I said, "Man, what am I supposed to do? You know, what am I supposed to do?" He said, "Well, what do you like doing?" You know, he'd always lay them kind of answers on me, you know. What do you like doing? Well, you know, I'd like coffee at AA meetings. Well, do that, you know. Just, I mean, that's what, it's what you do that. I just remember seeing it on his face. 
I said, man, I like to fish, Danny, and I've always loved it. Just since I was a little kid, I always just loved to fish. It was just, I loved it. He said, go do that. I was like, man, what do you mean go do that? I, you know, I can go do that. He said, no, can you make a living at it? I said, yeah. I mean, there's people that do. He said, uh, find out what you got to do. I guess that was an assignment. I didn't write it down. But I found out, you know. Um, man, a childhood dream. A childhood dream. <clears throat> From when, and uh, I, I found out how to do it. And uh, I was about five years sober, and I entered a, a bass tournament, a fishing tournament. And uh, they had a, one on the Ohio River down there by Cincinnati, and it was big, and people were coming from all over. And shit, I was getting in it, man. And uh, I wanted my sponsor to come spend the night with me the night before because I was so nervous, you know. And uh, I'd call him on the phone that night while, before I went to bed, and I was like, Danny, I'm in the tournament, man. And, uh, and I got in the tournament, and I went out. And there's a partner, I don't even know this guy. They draw, you know. We're in this bass tournament. I'm thinking, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to come into the AA group and tell them I won this tournament. Man, they cleaned my clock at that tournament, man. I didn't even know what I was in. I should have never been there. And the guy in front of me, man, he starts throwing in lures and stuff. And I'm like, I ain't never seen anybody do that. And I'm sitting in the boat just watching him. And, of course, you know, I didn't catch any fish, of course. And, uh, but, you know, come in and... Everybody at the meeting was like, you doing good, man? You doing good in that tournament? And, oh, no, no. <laughs> but it started it for me because I knew what I had to do. You know, I knew what I had to do. And, uh, and I tell you what, you know, uh, the, the principles of the program, I put them, put them to work in that fishing business. Um, I practiced. Practiced. I read. Tried to learn about it. I did all this stuff that I was never able to do on anything else in my life, you know, except for maybe, you know, some of this uh, alcoholism stuff. And not <clears throat> got in another tournament. Didn't do good, but did better. Got another tournament. Didn't do good. Did better, you know. And uh, always going to him, you know, Danny, man, you know, give me some, you know, thinking that he's going to give me something to make me go out there and catch a bunch of fish. And the thing is, is that I'm an alcoholic, man, and I don't like to work to get the result. I want to work just a little bit and then get a whole lot of result, you know. I've always been like that. I don't want to do the work. I just want the result. And, uh, but I tell you, I, somewhere along the line through doing all this stuff, I developed some kind of a passion for what I was doing. And I developed the same kind of passion that I have for Alcoholics Anonymous. I developed that passion in, in what I was doing. And, and, uh, and, <clears throat> and uh, man, I got in a tournament, and I caught some fish, and I, I just started feeling. So I was like, man. Go to my group, you do meetings, do meetings the whole time, and, and, and this fishing started taking me out to other places, and I started going to meetings there too, you know. So I'd go to the group there, and and I'd, you know, we'd be in wherever, and the tournament would be there, and I'd be telling, all, you know, everybody'd be like, man, I hope you do good in the tournament, and I'd show up down to the weigh in, my, all the boats would come in, and and there'd be some AA people from that group, and they'd be standing up on the hill, hey, hey, you know, and uh, and I drew strength from that. I hope I can get through this. <clears throat> There's been a lot of changes in my life lately, and um, that's a little hard to tell this. Uh, I was in, in West Virginia in a bass tournament on the Ohio River, and, and uh, I, was supposed to, I was about six or seven years sober, and I was supposed to leave five or six, I don't know. I was supposed to leave at a certain time to go down there, and I was going to go spend three days down there learning the water and all that stuff, and then come back and then work for like 36 hours straight at the hospital and then run back and then fish the tournament that day. 
the next day or something, you know, I don't know, but there was a plan, and it just had to go like this, or I was going to be a failure at what I was doing, man, I had been really practicing, I spent a lot of time on the lake, and I was really working hard, and was feeling good about it, and that morning, I was supposed to leave at like 3 a.m., and I woke up at like 9, and I'm like, oh man, I should have been on the road, I should have already been there, I was like, God, I'm going to miss this time, I can spend on the water to learn the river there, and I just, you know, I beat myself up, like, God, next thing I know, I wake up, and it's 11, I'm like, Jeff, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be down the road, man. You got this plan. You need to follow the plan, man. The phone rings. I answer it. Jeff, this is your this is your boss. Oh, yeah, yeah, how you doing? How you doing? Well that you know that time you need to come back? Don't even worry about that. We'll get that covered for you. I was never supposed to get that phone call, y'all. I hung up the phone. I said, Wow, I'm glad I stayed. <laughs> got in my car, drove up there, spent like three days on that stretch of the river, just trying to fish, trying to find some places where I can do good in this bass tournament. Nothing. Nothing. I'm like, God, man. You know, Here it is again. I'm really trying hard. It's not working out. I'm really trying hard. It's not working out. Self-pity, crying, all this stuff. Man, I'm wiping my boat down, and there's a guy at the at the boat ramp where I had put my boat in. I was I quit for the day, and I was going back to the AA group there in St. Mary's, West Virginia. I was going to go back and spend the evening with those people. And guy was down there wiping down his boat. And he said, hey, kid, come here. Man, I'm hot. I'm okay. I'll go down there and talk to the guy. And I'm, he tells me something. I don't know. He's talking about all this stuff. And and uh, then I said, Man, where do you catch bass around here? He said, Oh man. He said, I could tell you, but yeah, I know. I know a spot. No, you know. I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, well, There was a grass bed, and it was on down the river about ten miles. But I knew where he was talking about. He said, They're there. He said, Go there right away in the morning, and they're there. And, and uh, <laughs> was that you, Mike? So, uh, so, so anyway, I run down, I, the, you know, that tournament, I went to the meeting that night, there was a guy there, and he was a fisherman, I said, man, why don't you go with me tomorrow, I know a spot where there's a bunch of fish, I didn't finish the story, the guy had told me where the spot was, and I was like, cool, man, he told me the lure to throw, he said, but I throw a special, a certain one on there, and I was like, well, you know, show it to me, he said, all right, and he got it out of his boat, and he makes this, like, a little lure that he made or something, it's kind of bizarre, y'all, but he took this lure out, he said, I'm going to give this to you. I was like, cool, all right. You know, I my confidence. Yeah, sure, give it to me. Um, and I went to thank him, and he said, don't thank me, because if you thank me, you might lose the magic. That's what he told me. And I was just kind of tripping when he told me that. I thought, well, that guy's pretty weird, you know, and I go get in the truck. <laughs> I take off, go to the AA meeting that night, find this guy, and I, I went back to that spot that morning that guy was talking about the next morning. The tournament was going to be the next day. Man, I throw in there without lure that guy, and wham, right away. Oh man, this is too weird, man. This is too weird. I mean, that was just them bass was in there. That day of the tournament came, I went back down to that spot where that guy told me to go and just following directions is what I was doing. Just following directions. I called him. It's the first money I ever made fishing in a bass tournament. And, uh, and that was all due to me not having a plan and my plan really not going down and, uh, and, and listening to my directions you know um, God will talk to me but he doesn't talk to me through people that I think that he will he don't you know God uses his agents and I don't never know who they might be you know I don't know who they're going to be and I got to pay attention I got to pay attention to the people in my life I got to pay attention to the people in my home group the people in the meetings I got to pay attention to y'all I got to watch for God talking to me because I never know when he's going to do it he talked to me through that guy and just as sure as I'm standing here I know that he did and I know that that uh I knew that day knew that day and uh you know that just started for me and that and that, that's and <clears throat> so I just kept doing that and I was working at a treatment center and I 
and and I in the on my off time I was fishing bass tournaments and doing that and doing that and uh, I started doing pretty good. I started doing pretty good and I was just taking the principle that you guys said and I was when I was on the lake I was watching for people that anybody give me a little message like God might be telling me to do something and I'd go to that part of the lake or I'd go to this part of the lake or I'd do that whatever you know and people I'd be in a tackle store and guys say yeah man I hear really hear that they're catching them on this and I never even throw that lure but I'll get it and I'll go out there and I'll just throw it and, and I'll start catching fish, and I don't really understand it, but I just do it. Um, just follow through. I'm getting the result. Um, wasn't long after that, I, I got in a pretty big tournament, and I won. And there was a lot of people in there in that tournament that I had idolized from a kid. You know, when I was standing on the bank of a pond or when I was looking in a magazine, and, uh, and um, I was standing up there on the stage, man, and I was like, you know, I just ain't worthy of something like that, you know. I mean, not where I come from, and uh, and I and I just remember standing there thinking, you know, they ain't gonna call my name, you know, they just think I won, you know, or something like they're gonna call somebody else's name or something. I don't know, but you know, I I had always put a lot of limitations and barriers. Always done that, you know. Um, drunks hold themselves back from doing a lot of things, and uh, and then usually it's through fear and just feeling like just ain't we ain't worthy or we ain't good enough or or. Uh, you know, and um, and um, and this last year, and, it, and it's been since. Well, when I moved to Texas, and I moved down here, and I opened up a fishing service on a lake down there, and that's what I do now. And uh, and I made that. I made Danny a profit. You know, find out what you like to do and do it. Um, find out what you're passionate about. You know, he said, "Hell, Jeff. You know, you're 17 years old. You're getting sober. Man, your life. You you can do anything you want." And he would tell me that. Do anything you want. You know, that's what you can do. Anything you want. Um, sponsored a guy. Name was Chuck. Couldn't reach down to tie his shoes when he came in. Blood red. I mean, just bad. Bad sick. Went to meetings with him every night. Every night. He was 37 years old. I was in school at the time. He'd see them college books, and he'd say, man, I always want to go to college. I'd say, well, you can. He's like, yeah, I'm 37. He said, man, I'd sure like to go to college. I said, well, you can. He said, yeah, but I, I mean, I wouldn't even get out of college for five years. I mean, I didn't even get out of seventh grade. He said, I have to go back and get my GD and do all that stuff. And he said, I, there's no way I could do it. I said, well, you plan on being 42? He said, yeah. I said, well, you could either have a degree or not have a degree. It'd be up to you if you're planning on being 42. I mean, it ain't never too late. And sure enough, man, dude went and got his GD. <laughs> he went, took all his remedial classes, learned how to read again, GD. Just the whole, I mean, the whole story, man. The whole story. Went, went to his graduation. He had the little tassel and the thing and the gown and the, and man, I never been so proud. Never been so proud. Um, to see him take these principles and put them into action and take all his fears and he says, I'm gonna do this even though I'm afraid I'm doing it. You know, even though I don't know what the hell I'm doing, I'm just following what the directions are here. Um, and uh, last time I went back to Cincinnati, Chuck had got his master's degree. Man, he was walking proud. Just. Uh, <clears throat> and I always just wanted a textbook life. And the thing is, man, is that when you come into AA and you turn your will and your life over to the higher power and you start living on some of that grace and mercy instead of that justice, that, uh, that the textbook life that you were expecting on living turns into a storybook life. And, uh, and I'm right in the middle of my story, you know? And, it's, and I just feel that way. I feel like I'm in a freaking fairy tale sometimes, you know? And, uh, and I know a whole lot of other members that feel that way too. And uh, that's what they offered me when I came in. Um, man, I, you know, just so much, 
so much. And I, I just can't tell you how grateful I am, but, I, you know, um, the relationship with the higher power, man, he talks to me, and he talks to me through people, and I've already talked about that, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm gonna go ahead and, and close this down, but I want to tell you a story that happened to me about God because he wants, he wants me to believe in him, and he wants you to believe in him. And I'll tell you what, he'll talk to you, and he'll tell you. He'll show you if you ask him, you know. If you ask him, he'll show up. And uh, I'm just sure as in the world he never let me down yet. And uh, I was in a bass tournament, and I was out of state. Uh, and, like, th they do a draw, so you don't know the guy that you're fishing with. You have no idea who that might be. Um, so I draw this guy, and we meet that night, and he says, hey, I'm catching some fish in this part of the lake. And I say, I'm catching them in this part of the lake. Let's use your boat. And, or, you know, he told me, he said, we'll use your boat, and let's just go out and try to do good. And I was like, cool. So that was it. And that was all I knew about that guy. And we meet that morning, and prior to this, I had taken to my sponsor, because I'm always looking for an edge. I take to him, I said, man, what if I pray to catch fish? The Indians did it, didn't they? You know? I mean, it sounds like a good argument. <laughs> uh, and they did. You know, the Indians prayed for the hunter, for the fish or something. I don't know what they prayed for, but I, I always seemed like I heard that. <laughs> and I wanted that angle. So, uh, so uh, you know, he said, Jeff, I don't see anything wrong with praying for a little bit of help. He said, ain't nothing wrong with praying for help. Because the big book tells me don't pray for my own selfishness. Don't pray for my own selfish needs. Pray for other people is what it tells me. But I'm looking for an angle. <laughs> so <laughs> God's got a good sense of humor, y'all. I'm telling you. He just, I know he just has so much fun with me. But he, uh, man, that morning they was backing my boat down, and it was dark, you know, and, and, I, and I got on my knees in my boat, you know, and I, I was like, you know, and everybody could see me, but I didn't care. I don't really, you know. I was like, you know, God, you know, we're in this bass tournament, and, and I'm like, I tell, I, when, I, when I pray like that, I, I kind of suggest things to God, like, you know, like, maybe you can help me catch a big one. But if you don't, if you don't, it's okay, you know. I always put a disclaimer in there just in case you don't, you know, but, you know. And, I, you know, and I just laid it on him. I said, God, you said, you know, I just need some help out here on the water, you know. Just give me some help. And, and, I, and I, mean, I was really wanting to say, you know, and, and maybe throw in a four or five pounder and a, let me win, but I didn't throw that in there. I left that one out, and I just said, just help me out here on the water today. They backed me in. My partner gets in my boat. And, man, I, and I knew that I knew I knew I was going to do good, man. I just knew it. And I knew AA was what my group was with me, and I just knew, and I, God was with me. And take off that morning in the boat, just, you know, 70 miles an hour, and I'm driving down these creeks, and just you know, I get to the spot, and there ain't no boats around, and I got this whole to myself, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to win this tournament, man. I, I'm just feeling it. And I pitch in there, and oh, man, I'm a big one. You know, I'm just winding while my partner gets in net, and I dip him up, and I throw him in the live well, and you're allowed to catch five, and they got to be 12 inches long on the area that we were fishing. And it was a big one. I knew if I get three more of them and another one, I'd win it. Just like about three casts later, I pitch in there, man. I'm just, oh, another big one. Oh, man, my partner's like, oh, man, that's great. You just catch three more, and you're going to win this thing. I said, I know, and I'm only five minutes into it, man. And my life has changed, you know. And God works, and God is just in love with me, and I, and, and I know how to contact him, I know how to touch with his power, and I know that, AA, hey, hey, I'm in love with all you guys, and, and my life is beautiful, and just all this stuff, man, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just getting excited, I know I'm going to win this tournament, and I'm only five minutes into it, but, you know, of course, I just fantasize all this stuff, and, and then another bite, I'm like, oh, bring it in, and it wasn't as big as the other ones, and I laid it down. I got a little measuring board you put on them boats, and it was 11 and a half inches long. I'm like, wow, well, I can't keep that one, but AA still loves me, and God still loves me, and <laughs> catch another one. 
I bring him in, 11 and 3 quarters, and he doesn't make 12 inches. I'm like, oh, man. Throw him back in the water. I'm like, that's okay. You know, I still got seven and a half hours. You know, oh, another one. Four hours later, 11 and a half. Oh, man. <laughs> My attitude about y'all has changed. You know, I don't. <laughs> it's changed. You know, I don't. I mean, I love y'all and everything. Um, and that happened, that went on. And it was bizarre. It was weird. I mean, I, I probably caught as many fish as the whole tournament did, but they wouldn't measure that 12 inches. And all I had to do was catch three more and i win the thing. Uh, man, I, I'm starting to lose my cool a little bit, and I'm getting upset, you know. Slapping my wall, just acting like a baby, you know how, gun, not getting my way. <laughs> and uh, the guy in the back of the boat, man, I ain't even thought about him. He's just sitting back there, just fishing or something. I mean, he just... When I need the net, I get the net, man, and that, that was it. That's all I needed him for, you know, because <laughs> I'm winning. And, uh, man, what a day. That was a blessed day. Uh, so I thought, well, you know, I might want to kick off a conversation, not being very good A member up here, just, you know, worrying about myself and try to practice my principles in all my affairs. So I said, man, I said, you ain't even got a bite. He said, man, I ain't even had a bite yet, and you're up there catching all the fish. And he said, man, this sucks. And he's just telling me. He said, man, after we had talked a while, and, you know, he said, Jeff, he said, I should have never even came here, man. He said, I drove like 800 miles to come here. And he said, man, my life's in a wreck. <clears throat> I said, oh, yeah, well, you know, what's going on? You know, whatever. I'm like, I'm trying to catch some fish. He tells me, yeah, he tells me, he said, man, my wife left. He said, I lost my job, and I'm a school teacher, and I don't know if I'll be able to find another one. And uh, I'm probably losing my home. And uh, and he said just a few weeks ago I started going to AA, and, uh, and then I knew. And then I knew, and it wasn't about catching the fish. And it, and if I ask God for help, He'll send it to me. <clears throat> but He might not use the messenger that I think, and He might not use the way that I think. Um, he sent me one of my own, and uh, and the help that I needed wasn't catching the fish because I can do that. The help that I needed was because I was getting frustrated and I was losing control up there. And he knows when I need help. <clears throat> and uh, just another example that he's there for me. Man, I pulled from that. I'll never forget that day. And uh, me and that guy had a meeting that day in the boat. And, uh, and you know, if I caught another fish, it didn't matter. And I didn't care if it's 12 inches or not, you know. Um, and I didn't win the tournament. And uh, I was tickled to death. I don't know if that guy's still sober. I don't. I don't know, but I know that day that he was sent to me, you know, to tell me that God is and then that He's with me and that <clears throat> all I gotta do is ask for Him. And uh, I feel like He's there for y'all. And uh, all you gotta do is ask for Him. That's all. Thanks.